Hello, friends of Midwestern Marx. Welcome to Chapter 8 of our breakdown of Vladimir Lenin's imperialism, the highest stage of capitalism. Uh, today we're going to be covering the chapter, The Parasitism and Decay of Capitalism. So this is a highly relevant chapter for people living in the West, such as myself. I live in America. Lenin's going to talk about the effect imperialism has on the home country, um, on the proletariat, of, of the country that's doing the imperialism, um, the effect that that has on the proletariat, um, the effect that that has on the overall economy. Uh, and he's going to say that manufacturing is going to be pushed into the colonies, um, and these countries are going to become rentier states, uh, where the, the wealth of the capitalists in the imperialist country um, are, are funded by debt, uh, debt in the colonies, as well as debt amongst the working class in the home country. So extremely relevant um, for, inter for understanding America's economy, um, as we've been an empire for a long, long time, and the world's most dominant empire since the end of World War II. So Lenin starts out by saying that um, late-stage capitalists, monopoly capitalists, both stagnate and decay. So this leads to a couple things, and one of these things it leads to is the possibility of deliberately stopping progress. Um, so the economic pro possibility of deliberately stopping progress. So what does that mean? Um, this is called what's called planned obsolescence. So when a monopoly has an entire or has such domination of a market, they will design their products to break so that people who buy their products will use it for a while, it'll break, and then they'll have to go buy another one. Um, because the monopolies have no competition, nobody who can build a better product and challenge them, they own that market so much, they'll just design their, uh, their things to break. Um, Apple was caught doing this um, when people updated their iPhones. It was slowing them down and causing them to crash. Um, since then, they've done a huge PR campaign to say it didn't happen. But it did. And then also you have the dongles. Um, you know, when you plug into your iPhone, uh, they don't have the headphone jack anymore. It's just adding a little piece uh, that makes the product more inconvenient to use, right? Takes away use value, makes it less useful to us, but gives you another little piece of plastic that you're going to lose and have to go give 15 more bucks to Apple because they have such a monopoly on that market. And in China, um, it's much different for Apple. There's a uh, Shoot, how do you, is it Huawei? <laughs> the Chinese phone company have basically just copied Apple's phone and, and got rid of all the planned obsolescence, and now people are buying Huawei in China. Um, you also see this with dryers um, and appliances. They're not made the same way they're used to. Um, they're made to break. I don't know how often you guys have had to break or fix your laundry machine or your dryer, but for me, it's been a lot. Um, and the last time my parents had a repair person come over to fix the dryer, he said, yeah, they just... Don't make dryers like this anymore. The dryer was 40 years old and it had broken down once or twice in 40 years. And the guy's like, yeah, they just are made with cheap parts now so they can break and you have to go buy new parts. This is what happens when you have monopolies with complete and total control of their market. They can set whatever price they want and they can design their products to break because they know the buyer only has one person to go to if they want that product replaced which is the monopoly. Um, so Lennon's going to talk about that. And he gives the example of a bottle making machine, um, which produced bottles better than the German bottle making companies, which were very uh, powerful and wealthy at the time. So the German bottle, com uh, bottle companies bought the patent from Owen, um, the person who invented it. And then um, they uh, just never used the patent. They bought the patent so nobody could build the and, and produce the improved uh, bottle making machine and then they just 
never built the machine and kept making bottles and kept making a ton of money. So once you have monopoly, uh, monopolies which dominate the market, it actually stifles innovation, um, which is what the capitalist ideologues and the ruling class ideologues tell you is what's so great about capitalism, the competition and the innovation. Um, but in late stage monopoly capitalism, um, there's very little innovation. Um, other than innovation to see, to get consumers to spend more, to, um, to manufacture new wants in the consumers. Um, so these techniques, um, although they're effective, these techniques like planned obsolescence, they still won't stop monopolies from decaying. So um, Lenin says that rentiers and bondholders, those who give no labor but acquire incredible amounts of money capital, must maintain their vast profits by exploiting all the labor of their own country and the labor abroad. So he's going to talk about um, Hobson um, here, this kind of not communist economist um, who has a pretty scientific view of imperialism. We talked about him in the last chapter. Um, he has some good books on economics and, and the economics of uh, British imperialism, uh, but he's not a communist. So Lenin's going to draw from him and then expand on what Hobson says. So Hobson touches on how British capital abroad uh, increased 2.5 times over 22 years in the late 1800s. So he's saying Britain is exporting their capital, they're building all this infrastructure um, in their colonies. But then Lenin's going to say this doesn't take into account the profits of the individual shareholders of those companies, right? So Lenin's going to say in the UK, um, along with all that capital, um, Hobson isn't accounting for 90 to 100 million pounds of income that's paid to um, executives and bondholders and investors with the British companies. So this here highlights how truly disgusting American imperialism is, right? So we have these folks like Jeff Bezos with these vast amounts of wealth, right? Incomprehensible amounts of wealth. The average American worker would have to work 2.8 million years um, to have as much money as Jeff Bezos has, right? And in order to keep that wealth and in order to stop from decaying, they need to keep expanding. Bezos needs to extract all the labor of the Amazon workers in America and he needs to constantly expand abroad. And that's not just to keep the company going, right? That's not just to keep Amazon going. That's in order to make payouts and profits to their stockholders. So that means in America, you have this tiny class of obscenely wealthy people who literally are taking not only um, from the labor of Americans, but the entire world, which they are keeping and ruling with an iron fist um, in order to keep their own profits as high as possible, to keep absurd amounts of personal wealth or what Lenin calls money capital. This whole system um, where you have folks like Jeff Bezos and Elon Musk um, works not only off the oppression of Americans, but off the brutal oppression and exploitation of the entire global south, right? It's not just to keep our businesses going, it's to keep their profits at an insane level. And like I said, it shows how truly disgusting imperialism is, um, that these people are just living insane, you know, unimaginable lives for, for a working class person, right? Just obscene amounts of wealth. Um, and in order to maintain those obscene levels of wealth, they have to exploit the entirety of the global south. So, I mean, truly disgusting. And it truly makes me even more inspired to overthrow these people. <laughs> so Lenin argues, um, using contemporary financial statistics or 
contemporary financial statistics from his time, now they're past financial statistics, um, that these countries are becoming usurer states. So the imperialist countries are becoming countries who just loan debt and um, the interest paid back on that debt is also what helps keep the vast profits of these capitalists, right? As we said, they need to keep their businesses expanding and they need to keep their own personal profits expanding. Um, so this is going to increase debt um, in the global south, in the colonies. We've seen this with the IMF and the World Bank and their infamous structural adjustment programs um, and their debt trapping techniques, which keep uh, countries in the global south constantly paying huge debts with um, inescapable interest rates to Western banks. Um, and then you also have things like the student debt crisis, right? Why has student debt, you know, not adjusted for inflation. I'm just using, you know, it was like 700 bucks, my grandpa told me, for him to go to college. And obviously 700 bucks was a lot more back then than it is now, but still, I'm leaving college with over $100,000 in debt. Why? The capitalists in this country need to keep their profits at this insane rate. But there's not even enough money to do that anymore, right? No, but, you know, I don't have any money to pay the capitalists. So what do they do? They say you have $100,000 in debt and you're going to pay interest on it. So it keeps, you know, this whole section... Um, of American college students constantly paying um, essentially worthless money to to the the capitalist class so they can keep their profits at an insane level. And this is why there's now more debt in circulation in the United States or maybe in the world than there is actual money. I think maybe just in the U.S. But yeah, there's more debt than money. How does that make sense? It doesn't make sense. Capitalism doesn't make sense. It's just something the capitalists have invented to make sure that their profits don't ever dip. Um, so... Lenin says the rentier state is a parasitic, decaying capitalism, which affects all socio-political conditions of the countries involved. So just like I was talking about, we have this parasitic, decaying, imperialist, monopoly, late-stage capitalism that preys on the global south and preys on people in this country in any way imaginable, um, including through debt. That's a perfect, the student debt crisis and the structural adjustment loans put on countries in the global south, perfect example of parasitism and how capitalism's decaying but they have to come up with these own these mechanisms in order to keep their profits as high as possible. Also, you saw trillions of dollars dumped into the stock market um, during the during the pandemic here. Also, just to keep the keep the profits of those stockholders from ever dipping. Um, so Lenin says that there are two things that have weakened empires in the past, right? So as they become parasitic and they decay, um, like the Roman Empire, there's been stuff that's had, uh, forced them to decay in the past. So the first one is economic parasitism, um, like we were talking about. And two is the formation of armies in the subjugated areas. So the, this is what we've been talking about um, throughout this whole book. These countries that get colonized have something to say about being colonized, right? And they, one, they want to get the U.S. out of there as far as, like, just, you know, we want to be an independent nation. You know, we have a nationalist sentiment. We want self-determination. Uh, but then, two, we want economic self-determination, right? We want economic independence. We want the Western capitalists out of here. And, and when these independence movements start doing that is when you see the CIA, the U.S. military, the special forces, NATO um, start to intervene and start to try and over try and uh, harm these independence movements. But Lenin's going to say that this is what causes empires to decay when the independence movements of the colonized nations get strong enough to overthrow the empire. And are we getting close to seeing that in the world today? Maybe. You know, the U.S. empire is not what it used to be. Um, 
So very interesting stuff to look at there. And again, of course, very relevant stuff. Um, and then I just had written down a great example of, you know, colonized uh, people fighting back against the U.S. would be Che and Fidel in Cuba, right? They, they, the U.S. had Fulgencio Batista, uh, the military dictator, ruling over Cuba, and the colonized people said, we're done with this, um, we're going to build our own economic system, and we're going to have independence. And then they fought a war and won, and that's what they did. Um, usually the U.S. has been successful in stamping out these independence movements um, to some degree, but, you know, more and more of them have been, or a lot of them have been successful, and, and they haven't gone away. You know, as long as there's capitalism, there will always be socialism, and as long as there's imperialism, there's always, there will always be independence movements. So, there we go. So, Lenin says, monopolist um, bribes also bring the corrupt forces in colonized countries, allowing for imperialists to have colonized people fight amongst themselves. So, you know, the U.S. will go into the countries we're trying to overthrow, they'll find the right-wing forces, and they'll back them and they'll arm them. You have the Contras in Nicaragua, they did this against, I mean, they've done this a million times. The Venezuelan opposition forces, um, right now, um, Mutubo Sese Seiko in, uh, in the Congo, Pinochet in Chile, and, yeah, I mean, of course, there's a million, and, and of course, the U.S., uh, in Syria, there weren't enough rebel forces to fight against Assad, who the U.S. wanted to overthrow. So they went and they got radical jihadist extremists um, from Lebanon, from the UAE, from all these other places, from Libya, and they shipped them into Syria and created the Syrian rebels in order to destabilize the region. So the empire will look um, to the countries they're trying to colonize, and they will fund the right-wing forces within there, and you know, and prey on the corruption of. Of countries and um, that they're trying to colonize. So Lenin quotes Hobson, who says that Western parasitism, um, in which a Western financial aristocracy maintains upper classes with vast wealth obtained from Asia and Africa, will outsource their own industry, um, and their own people will be occupied with a different work. So we've seen this in the U.S. and the U.K. You know, our manufacturing has been hollowed out in the U.S. It was the Rust Belt. We lost all these jobs as they were pushed to where um, to colonies where we can have the have goods manufactured cheaply. Um, all the protectionist trade deals were destroyed. Um, so corporations can just have their products made wherever there's, you know, basically slave labor, austerity, no labor regulations, and then just ship those products to the U.S., um, sell them at a major profit. So this causes manufacturing in the home company or home country, the imperialist country, to be pushed out, and and the industrial proletariat becomes extremely weak, um, which is bad for revolution. And this happened in the UK too with Thatcher um, hollowing out Scotland's manufacturing industry and really the manufacturing industry um, of the entire UK. Sorry, my partner Carlos just called me right in the middle of filming my video. I had to cut him off. So of course the UK pushed all their manufacturing out. Um, and that is another one of the things you'll always see with imperialism, right? The imperialist countries will always push their, their manufacturing out so they can have commodities manufactured for cheap in the global south. Um, and Lenin's going to argue that this also uh, creates opportunism um, among the proletariat of the home country, right? These people, um, there's, one, there's a lot of service jobs that are made now because everybody still has to have a job. You know, people have to work to pay for food, um, 
but you don't but you're pushing all your manufacturing and all your industrial proletariat out of the country so there are all these service jobs um, and of course there's a lot of tech jobs growing which with the increase in technology um, but the kind of jobs change and and it also creates an opportunity for opportunism among the proletariat so Lenin's going to mention a social democrat who was saying we should use the mili- who was expelled from Lenin's party who was saying we should use the military to stop independence movements in Asia and the Middle East so we can keep them oppressed so that our country will be richer and then our workers will be richer right this is kind of what happened in the US in the 1900s and after the depression you had a labor aristocracy that was formed where it was pretty good to work in the US you know workers were making a lot more money than they are today um, but that was all, you know, based off the exploitation of the global south. You know, the global south was not living good. And in the U.S., um, uh, people of color were left out of all the programs and stuff for workers. And a lot of the unions didn't allow people of color. So, yeah, um, lower and poor productive workers kind of become separated from uh the upper stratums of the proletariat in under imperialist countries. Lenin's going to talk about this. So, you know, you see that in the U.S. right now. There are all these productive workers who are sort of looked down upon, you know, the plumbers, the carpenters, the, the people who make society run, right, who do the dirty work that nobody wants to do. We consider that, a, you know, jobs for dumb people. You're just not smart enough to work your way up the system if you have to do one of these essential jobs, you know. But it's like... Okay, if you don't have any plumbers, these people you work down on, who are you going to call when your toilet breaks, right? You know, so it's these are the most important jobs in society and they become jobs that are looked down on and everybody even in the proletariat wants to make it to that middle class, right? You just want to work a service job or a, maybe not a service job, but a management position where you don't have to work so hard, but you can be in the upper middle class of the proletariat and just kind of live your life, you know? And this is what Lenin calls opportunism. And this is this opportunism comes from imperialism, right? When you have this country where the proletariat is, as long as you get one of these managerial positions, you can live better than, than the dirty, productive jobs that are looked down upon in society, which are also being outsourced. All right, so imperialism creates sort of a privileged set of workers, Lenin says, a a bourgeois proletariat, and politically this leads to opportunism, right? You see in America there's a ton of social democrats, right? People who are just like, let's continue exploiting the global south, but let's do more for workers while we do it. And Lenin says, this is poop. Um, So Engels says this produces politics of liberals and conservatives who argue while monopolies take everything in imperialist nations. In imperialist nations, this is what happens. This is Lenin quoting Engels. So Engels says the politics um, in capitalist imperialist nations become liberals, conservatives arguing over nothing while monopolies dominate what actually happens. I mean... Engels said that in the 1800s. Have you ever heard a better description of the United States in your life? I mean, that's exactly what's happened in the primary imperialist nation. We fight, we argue, our country's extremely polarized, and they're legitimately fighting over nothing. You know, the Democrats and the Republicans are, nothing ever changes. They just scream and they yell and they yell and they yell, and the monopolies continue to exploit the global south, continue to exploit the American proletariat, and we have people with... Um, hundreds of billions of dollars in their own bank accounts. And Lenin's going to argue basically to stop imperialism, the proletariat in the imperialist country needs to reject imperialism, I mean, sorry, reject opportunism um, and, and stay true to scientific socialism and realize that the abolition of private property and the building of socialism in the imperialist nations is the only thing that's going to be able to stop imperialism.
Um, so yeah, the 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 key takeaways from this chapter, I think, is one: don't look down on the industrial proletariat because they're going to be key to building socialism in the imperialist country. Um, these folks like Jeff Bezos and the American ruling class um, are living off the exploitation and the brutal oppression of the global south and the American proletariat just so they can have massive, massive fortunes of their own. And imperialism decays when independence movements and um, economic independence movements, socialist movements, start popping up in the colonized nations and start challenging the power of the empire. But also, um, as people living in the American empire, I want to remind you all we have a very, very important position um, to keep fighting and looking to stop the imperial expansion of the, the capitalist monopolies within our own country. Um, and we need to do this for our comrades and our friends in the global south um, and have solidarity with them in the fight against global imperialism and capitalist imperialism. All right, everyone, I hope you like chapter eight. I'll probably do chapter nine tomorrow, so stay tuned for that. And yeah, thanks for sticking along. Hope you're reading the book uh, or just putting me on while you play Fortnite or whatever. Either way, it's all good. All right, peace.